0: For this episode of Sea Trade Maritime Masterclass, my name is Emma Howe, Digital Director of Sea Trade Maritime. Over the next 20, 25 minutes, I look forward to discussing with Fazle Fazleboy, CEO of Synergy Offshore, his considerable experience in the maritime industry, which covers a wealth of sectors, including oil field services, marine and energy. Fazel's 30 years of experience will lead to a fascinating conversation that will give graduates and those entering these fields some insight how a veteran professional progressed their career. So, Fazel, going back to when you studied at New York University Stern School of Business, did you know then that you would forge a career in the marine industry, particularly offshore services? Tell us a little how you ended up in this sector, please.
1: Well, to be honest, absolutely not. I had intended to go back to Pakistan after graduating and to join my father in a family business that even back in 1982 was run by an external professional team of managers. It was a sales and engineering firm that represented the likes of General Electric, Honeywell, Emerson, Litton Aerospace, and several other U.S. and European multinational companies. But immediately after graduation, I joined Honeywell in the U.S., in Chicago, in their building automation factory, and then moved to various U.S. and European locations to end up handling international sales for projects for the Middle East while being based in Saudi Arabia. This was in 1983. Eventually, I returned to Pakistan and continued working with Honeywell because my father's firm represented them in Pakistan since the early 50s. And for 14 years until 99, I ran the group switchboard manufacturing facility, as well as handling construction projects, including the last project was a 100 megawatt private sector power plant, which was on a turnkey basis. So we had done all the automation works with Honeywell for the Karachi Airport as well. And in 1999, Honeywell UAE asked me if I could do some installation work for them as a subcontractor for the Dubai Airport project, which is just starting to expand. That's how I came to visit Dubai and then ended up in getting an offer from Topaz because of my automation background, to join them as a general manager of Dart Automation, which was a subsidiary of NECO International and handled marine automation. So after a year or so at Dart, I was then asked to take over the offshore and onshore project business of Adiard in Abu Dhabi, which is an oil and gas fabricating facility, and was also a Topaz Group company. Several years later, I was rotated back to NECO and took over as general manager for all the ship repair And also started up the new OSV and crew boat building activity, which we entered into at that time. Then in 2008, I took over as the CEO of the entire group and then ran the oil and gas, ship repair and the offshore marine business as a combined group entity. So to summarize, it was a series of open doors that I found along the way and actually gravitated to the offshore energy and marine space quite circumstantially rather than setting it as a clear cut goal for my college days.
0: Thank you, Faisal. That's actually really interesting. And it it leads me quite well into my next question, which really talks about that entrepreneurial flair that you've shown throughout your career. So you're currently CEO of Synergy Offshore, a Dubai-based energy consultancy firm that you founded, as well as senior advisor to the Westwood Global Energy Group for the Middle East. As I say, I think it's fair to say that your career has shown a flair towards entrepreneurial growth. Has that flair sometimes proved challenging within what is quite a traditional industry, and what recommendations would you make to would-be entrepreneurs how to win over stakeholders, both internally within organisations and externally as well?
1: In a word, I would say passion. In order to succeed as an entrepreneur, you have to have a whole lot of drive and passion. And this can be broken down into two key elements. is aptitude and attitude. And if given a chance to hire, when having to trade off the dominant trade between aptitude and attitude, I would select attitude every time. Aptitude can be taught. Attitude is innate. So another key aspect is to be able to transition this capability into different applications. For example, once you know the essence of project management, then whether you're building an onshore power plant or an offshore module, the skill sets are more or less the same. And for example, as a project manager, you just need to ensure that you surround yourself with discipline-specific experts who know a heck of a lot more than yourself. And the same goes for a CEO. Of course, you have to know your market, your customers, your product, your competition, But the key is to know how to lead and manage people who are hopefully more competent than yourselves in their various disciplines. So the essence of entrepreneurship is innovation. If you have a flair for innovation, then that is what you do. Even in a traditional industry, there are novel approaches. And perhaps it is exactly that which segregates the leaders from the herd. You can be an entrepreneur for yourself, as in the traditional sense of the word, if you own and run your own business. or You can bring entrepreneurship into a professional company in your capacity as a professional manager. You don't have to be an owner to be an entrepreneur. Entrepreneurship is a state of mind. It's this entrepreneurial spirit that is the essence, and that is what you have to bring to any enterprise for it to be successful. Entrepreneurship, especially if it's to be successful, is rewarded even in a traditional industry. Just think in the context of crew transfers in our offshore business. Someone, Appleman in particular, was one of the early movers to introduce this motion-compensated gangways for a safer transfer of crew rather than the traditional ways of doing it. It wasn't welcomed by open arms immediately, but there was a trial and error of time and a process. But this was an entrepreneurial and an innovative idea. And I'm pleased to say that Topaz, even in the early days, was an early partner in this entrepreneurship development by having the first motion compensated gangway installed on a crew boat in Azerbaijan for a BP contract long before motion compensated gangways had become the new norm in the industry. So you can have a very traditional shipping industry and still have entrepreneurship embedded because it's an attitude. And at the end of the day, to win over shareholders or stakeholders, you have to have integrity, your own personal integrity and integrity of your product or service. But you must have value. Gimmicks don't work. They don't last, they're just a flash. You have to have some real value added capability in order to make it succeed.
0: And I suspect it's that entrepreneurial spirit, but also coupled with that integrity, which has led you to some very senior leadership roles over the years, including the CEO of Topaz Energy and Marine, which you have mentioned. What makes a great leader?
1: As a leader, other than passion and compassion, you do need to have a clear vision for the future. You need to know how to set goals and to be sure of where you want to go before you can lead others to that point. It's essential that a leader is a great motivator, so the best can be brought out in a team. Most major successes are team efforts, and no matter how brilliant one team member might be, if you don't have a shared vision that they all buy into, you all won't be pulling in the same direction, and chances are you'll be less than successful. Very importantly, you have to master the art of being able to disagree without being disagreeable. There will always be dissensions, and that is healthy, because if two people agreed on everything, one of them would certainly be completely redundant. It is important to be able to build consensus within the team, but there are times when the leader has to have the courage to take decisions, sometimes difficult decisions, even when others around him disagree. The art is knowing when to do that. A successful leader inevitably is a good mentor. You have to be able to recognize the good in people and be able to bring out the best in them. Most people do have good skill sets. It's up to you as a leader to be able to utilize them well. After all, no matter how good a round peg may be, it just won't work in a square hole. You need square pegs for square holes and round pegs for round holes. You as a leader have to make that match. Unfortunately, many pegs don't even really know what they are. By pegs, I mean the young gentlemen and ladies coming up in your organization, the young professionals. By nurturing and mentoring, you can bring out the best in your emerging team and help them define themselves and to grow into successful leaders. Leadership can often be difficult. It's pretty lonely up in front. Usually you are alone. Even though you're surrounded by people, you are still out there leading the pack. As a good leader, it's important that people are willing to follow you. Otherwise, if they do not follow, you're not leading anything. You're just going out for a walk.
0: I like that. I particularly like the comment that you can disagree without being disagreeable. I think that uh, that resonates with some of my career uh, history as well.
1: I will from my father and my dad.
0: <laughs> we'll get back to the interview in a second, but I just wanted to take a moment to tell you about the Sea Trade Maritime Club a private membership club connecting senior leaders from across the global shipping industry. Our members are senior professionals representing ship owners, ship operators, or ship management companies. If you want to find out more, please go to www.ctrademaritimeclub.com. Thank you. And now I'll get back to the interview. Your career has taken you across the Middle East, Azerbaijan, Kazakhstan, Brazil and West Africa. Personally, where did you enjoy working the most? And professionally, which of these territories are best for cutting your teeth in the industry and why?
1: I think the Middle East, or more specifically the UAE, is probably the very best location to straddle the geography that you have mentioned. It's a pretty big work. So while these have been the markets where Topaz has been working in and active in, we've also had to rely on the Far East because that's where many of our ships were built. So Singapore, Malaysia, China are also major territories where Topaz has engaged and therefore where I was involved. To manage this global portfolio though, I can't imagine being in a more ideal place than Dubai. All the standard things that Dubai is famous for, one of the world's finest airports, finest airline, Equidistant from both east to west, because literally it is the Middle East. But it's all true. It's hard to think of a place that I would rather have as my global base. Even on the social side, you have all the fine dining, you have the cuisines of the world, yet you, you have the phenomenal safety and security of Dubai. And yes, being tax free does help. Now, so much for that's for enjoying the working environment. But from a traveling standpoint, I must admit, and a working standpoint, it's very hard pressed to actually rate one over the other. But overall, I would say Kazakhstan was perhaps one of the most difficult areas of operation. But Brazil was not a cakewalk either. We've had some of our greatest successes in Azerbaijan. And I've been fortunate to carry forward my successful track record in Azerbaijan with Synergy Offshore. Because apart from my relatively straightforward consulting business, I did have the opportunity of handling a fairly substantial upgrade project, Offshore Baku, where we converted a 600-ton catamaran crane barge into a flotel for 240 personnel. And to be honest, all of these are tough and demanding markets, not the easiest of places to cut your teeth, as you put it. In fact, you should be happy that you have any teeth at all by the time you come out of these markets. (laughs) The Middle East is probably the easiest to be introduced to the offshore sector, especially for young folks joining the business, because of the infrastructure around these markets are well-developed. This clarity in who the main end users are in terms of the leadership positions of our national oil companies. We have Aramco, we have Adnoc, we have Qatar Energy. And in the case of doing business here, relatively speaking, this is a great advantage because you have a very clear, well-defined, dynamic oil and gas offshore market. Things are efficient here. Manufacturers and OEMs keep spare parts. They're also easy to locate and procure. Specialists are available to help with tricky installations or commissioning activities. Literally, they're just one flight away. So it's really easy to do business here, relatively speaking. So we have a sophisticated also array of premium shipyards, which is essential in our business, as who do both shipbuilding and ship repair. All of this makes the Middle East and specifically the UAE one of the most desirable places to start a marine or offshore career.
0: Well, I can certainly second living in Dubai, as I did as well for 12 years. It is a great place to live socially and to do business, so utterly agree with your sentiments there. If we look back to your career, would you do anything differently? And if you were to start your career now with so many other sectors available in the industry, such as digitalization, would you choose your career path differently?
1: As I'm now in my sunset phase of my career, it's an interesting question as to what I would have done differently at the outset. See, looking back, it's a pretty long journey. I think it's 40 years, not 30 years. I'm older, than, I'm older than you think. <laughs> hardly, <I apologize>. <laughs> <laughs> hardly possibly my biggest success could also have been my biggest regret. My success has been my passion and my commitment to whatever work I was doing, be it building a turnkey power plant or installing a complete automation system and fire alarm system for an international airport or starting a shipbuilding facility in Kazakhstan or Fujairah. However, those were the best years of my life and my early years of marriage and being a father. I never heard of the phrase work-life balance in those days, much less live it. I just wasn't available for large portions of the growing up years of my two daughters. And I just did not spend enough quality time or give enough priority to my family. It's a difficult trade-off as those are the years when you just happen to be the most productive at work as well. Typically, this is when you'd be in your 30s and 40s and you're climbing the corporate ladder and taking on more and more responsibilities. So it's a tough trade-off, especially if you're an ambitious person. So that's the one thing I might have done differently. So learning the art of balancing is what I would like to have done better. Now, that's the personal aspects, and perhaps not quite what you'd ask me about my career path in terms of choices. But career paths are interesting. You know, probably 25% or more of the jobs that come up in the future probably don't even exist when a young person is at 18 years old and trying to decide which courses to take at a university. Who knew back in 75 what a content producer was, or an app developer, or a blockchain builder, or that crypto was not referring to somewhere that Dracula used to sleep? You know, unless some young person is really driven by wanting to be an astronaut or a doctor or something very specific, I think the whole art of studying at university or college is about building a toolkit. It's not about knowing what to think, but rather how to think. It's not about building something specific, but knowing how to best use all the tools in your kit. Collecting and assimilating skills is crucial in the early years. Career choices then appear when those skills can be applied. One should know their own nature and come to appreciate what you innately like to do. Find a career that is close to the things that you enjoy doing so Mondays aren't as bad as they can be, so filled with dread of another week ahead. Enjoy your job, enjoy your life. It's the way you spend most of your time. I really don't think I could have done anything differently at all if I had to do it again, other than maybe finding some better semblance of a life-work balance. Having to do it again now going forward, most of my options would be different anyway due to the rate of change. Unknown choices would face me. I would just stumble along the way I have all my life. Doors do open. Good luck does happen. And I do believe in serendipity. But as they say in New York with regards to their lottery, you've got to be in it to win it. So if you do not go through life actively looking for opportunities, God alone knows how many things you might have missed. You just can't wish to win the lottery. At the very minimum, you just have to buy a ticket. In that sense, if you work hard and sensibly enough, you create your own luck. For me, somehow, I've always been involved in the energy space, whether it's the power generation or petrochemical or offshore oil or gas or anything else that I've done. Those exact same kind of options may not present themselves to me today in the same format. So if I was starting my career all over again, fossils that were the center of my universe would be replaced by the green fuels of tomorrow, but it's still the energy space. The energy transition is providing a multitude of options to young men and women entering into the energy sector. These are equally, if not more exciting, as these are nascent industries and they're innovating and reinventing themselves every day. We're faced with such compelling dilemmas going forward, something even as basic as which fuel we'll be using in our ships 10 years from now. This is not cast in concrete, whether it's methanol, LNG, hydrogen, ammonia, who knows? What fun finding out. This is the challenge for the future. So both the sectors that I've been involved with through my entire career, which is energy and marine, are very much still here and will be here for a long time to come. They will be different, very different, but so will the youth of tomorrow be different. So if I were to start my career all over again, it would still probably be in the energy and green sector, and I'd do the same stuff all over again, perhaps differently. So therefore, for a successful career, yes, you've got to wake up early, to drink your coffee, but don't forget to also smell the coffee and the roses along the way.
0: I hope our listeners take advantage of some wise words, I would say.
1: Hard knocks. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you were actually recently appointed as ambassador for offshore marine, a logical choice, of the Sea Trade Maritime Club. Why is it important for industry professionals to sit on associations and clubs like this? And what do you actually hope to bring to the table?
1: You know, as industry leaders, we have generated and accumulated a wealth of information over decades of experience in our various sectors. The Sea Trade Maritime Club provides us an ideal forum to exchange and share this information. As leaders in our fields, we're in many ways at the peak of our careers and have more knowledge about our businesses today than ever before. It is now time to share this knowledge and mentor younger emerging members of our industry so this knowledge can be passed on. The offshore sector is particularly fractured and extremely fragmented. There are very few forums that bring together industry professionals so that they can sit and then discuss issues that need to be on the agenda going forward. And, you know, it's not just about discussing an agenda. It's far more important as leaders in determining what the agenda should be. For example, seafarers have faced enormous challenges over the past few years. We as the leaders need to be their voice. The Sea Trade Maritime Club can be the forum for this kind of exchange. And being involved in the marine and offshore industry for the past, specifically in this sector for the last 30 years or so, prior to my experiences in Pakistan and the energy, I have an extensive network of colleagues and friends who I'm sure will be wanting to participate in such a forum. And the forum would benefit from their collective experiences. In the past, I've been fortunate to have been given the opportunity to lead the discussions by being the moderator for two maritime leadership roundtables in the UAE, and these were conferences under the auspices of the maritime transport sector of the Federal Transport Authority. And I'll be pleased to share some of those learnings that emerged from those sessions on how to improve the functioning of the maritime sector within the UAE in the broader context of IMO's maritime objectives.
0: Thank you. And that's a, a couple of times that you've actually mentioned mentoring and how important that is as a leader and somebody who, as we've spoken about, has a wealth of industry knowledge. So. Again, I, I would ask people like yourselves and other industry professionals to always think about that mentoring element, especially for the youth that is looking to enter the maritime sector. So thank you for that commentary, Fazel. I think that brings us to the end of this masterclass podcast. I have found it fascinating. And I've known Fazl for a, for many years now, probably more than a decade, but always hear something new. So thank you, Fazl, for your time today.
1: Real pleasure, but Thanks very much for the opportunity.